This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, Bridgeway. I'm Pastor Mike. And like Justin said, super excited for this mini-series we're going to jump into. If you missed the last series, though, it was the Transform series. And you can catch all of those. It was is a, a great series where we talked about how God transforms us and how we push back on the world trying to conform us. But jump onto our YouTube page, our website. You can catch all of our messages there. Along with all of our, our, all of our messages, we have a sermon discussion guide that will help you to navigate the sermon together with other people or by yourself. So jump in with your group or your family or as you're studying yourself and you want to look back at the sermon, this is a way to take it one step deeper. Today, though, as you can probably tell, we're jumping into a series that's called The Biggest Turnoff to Christianity and the Church. Now, I know some of you were like, wait, the biggest turnoff sounded great, Mike, but then you said the other part, and I was just thinking we were going to get dating advice. Sorry, we're not doing that today. No dating advice for this service. We're going to jump in, talk to some issues, some things that, have, um, that are difficult things for, for people as they're engaging with, how do I step into the church, or maybe I don't. Um, so let's jump into that, and we're actually really going to jump right into it. We're going to jump into a story that you might have heard. Um, it's in the book of Job, so we're going to jump into Job 1, verse 13. So go ahead and start flipping there, and we're going to just catch this story. I know you, you might have heard this, but I want us to hear the things that he goes through um, as, we, as we jump into there. So as you're turning, Justin and I did a, did a nice little survey and uh, jumped online actually and did, did some research to try and figure out the things that are the biggest turnoff to Christianity in the church. And there's a whole list of them. And I, I, got, I landed on number two. I don't know how I got the second place one. Maybe Justin's actually number one. I don't know how that works. But somehow I landed on number two. And number two, well, do you guys know what number two on the list is? What do you think pushes people or makes people doubt the most? Turn to your neighbor and tell them what you think it is. We'll see if you can get it right. You have an advantage because you already know what book we're going to be in. Now, you guys are much more willing to talk to each other than first service. So I don't know if first service wasn't awake or you guys are just already in conversation and this is good. But number two is suffering. So, yes, welcome Sunday morning to suffering, uh, the suffering sermon. So, Welcome. We're going to jump right into this, though. We're going to read uh, Job 1, 13 through 19, and then a couple verses in chapter 2, just to get what happened to Job in the forefronts of our minds so we can have a conversation about it. So, verse 13. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older, oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came. The fire of God fell from heaven, from the heavens, and burned up the sheep, and the servants and I am the only one, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, swept down on your camels, and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house and collapsed on them, and they are dead. 
I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And before we jump into the next part, wow, right? Like, I don't know if you're, this is kind of overwhelming. Like, you hear the first one, and you're like, okay, he lost a bunch of stuff. And you hear the next one, and you're like, wait, he just lost more stuff. And they're, they're, this is happening all in a row. And then, then he loses more. And you're like, wow, this is just, it's kind of overwhelming. He loses all of the camels. He loses the, the donkeys. He loses a bunch of sheep. I mean, he just gets all this stuff. And this is like, in that time, this would have been their, their version of money, was the, the things that they owned. And he was considered one of the richest in the area. So he loses all of his money, basically. And um, along with it, the servants, his workers, are dying with it. And then it ends with his kids all pass away. They all die. So Job's going through a lot. We might as well just pile some more on there. So let's go to verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. And his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Wow. <laughs> right? Wow. So now he's lost all of his things, his kids, and now even his body is falling apart. And there's lots of questions. There's lots of things that can, that can um, be hard for people, but... I think Job steps into this, and he has a question. We're going to be looking at the different responses that people have because we want to engage with how do we help people when they look at their suffering and, they, and it's a turnoff to God and the church. And so I want to look at the different responses. We're going to look at Job's first, and we'll take a look at some other ones too. But Job's response um, is probably the most concise spot that I could find it in was in chapter 23, and we're just going to look at verse 3 through 6. This is not on your screen, so I'm just going to read it for you to kind of get what his response was um, as he's kind of trying to work through this. So in verse 3 it says, If only I knew where to find him. He's talking about God. If only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say. Would he vigorously oppose me? No, he would not press charges against me. So Job, he's talking about engaging with God. He's talking about letting God know what he's going through as if God didn't know, right? Because God is all knowing. He's like, if God only, if God only knew, he, he wouldn't be pressing these charges. He wouldn't, be, he wouldn't have a case against me. And he's kind of question, he's questioning God there as in, does God, does he not see this? And really, I think he's, he's pointing to a question that's a pretty common one. That is, how can we have a good God and suffering people at the same time? How do we have a good God and suffering people at the same time? It seems like those two things don't make sense together, right? And we know there's human suffering, so that leads people to believe that there can't be a good God. And a lot of people stop right there. They're like, nope, there is suffering. That means God can't be good. I'm done with the argument. Let's move on. And I push back against that and say, I think that's too simple. 
I think it's too simple because I, I believe um, that God has, has given us some other opportunities. For one, I think when we think about God, for him to stop the suffering, he would have to take away our choice. Right? He'd have to take away your choice because it was our choices at the beginning that put us in a spot that we are now. And not only ours, but those before us and the devil's choice too. But he gave us a choice to choose to love God or choose not to love God. And that choice leads you down a path either way. And at the beginning, we had that choice and we have that choice now. And that's what makes it so powerful. That's what makes love so powerful is because we could choose something else. And we, maybe we have chosen other things. But there's been consequences for those things. But he still gives us that choice. He still gives us a choice to love. See, Job makes an argument that God doesn't know what he's doing. And God responds basically saying he is God. You can read that um, in the later chapters of, of Job. He, he says that he is God and he knows everything. So even though it doesn't make sense to you and I in the moment, our suffering doesn't make sense to us, it doesn't mean that to God it doesn't. Because our God is over everything. And our good God has shown us his goodness. And he's done this a lot of ways, but I think the best way, the most obvious way, is by sending his son Jesus, who steps into the world, and he takes the pain, he takes the price, he takes the payment that we've all earned through our choices to not follow Jesus, to not obey him, the choices that we have earned. And he takes that on himself so that we have a chance to choose to love him back. Because we can't get to God without making things right, but God has already done it. He sent his son, he sent his son into this world to make us right before him. So all we have to do is choose to love him. He loved and he gives us a choice to love back. And what I love is we actually, we went through a, a series earlier this year through the book of Revelation, and we know the end story. We know that in the end, God will defeat evil and suffering and pain, but it will happen in his time. And sometimes we just have to remember that we're not there yet and that we're in the middle of a battlefield. And we might look around and go, well, there's good things that are happening to some good people and there's bad things that are happening to some bad people, but, but it's also flipped. And we're on a battlefield because, like I said earlier, we are on an earth where the sin of our ancestors has already happened. We continue to sin and the devil's sin has already happened and there's consequences as a result of that. We have consequences on ourselves. It even says that the earth was cursed because of our sin. So when we look around, we see natural disasters, things like that. We remember this, the, the ground was even cursed. And the de there's the devil that's involved that wants to use things and powers to destroy and ultimately tear everything down and pull it away from God. So when we see these things happening, we're like, well, this is a bad thing happening to a good person. Remember, we're in the middle of a battlefield 
and we're taking shots from all sides. So this is not a complete argument, and we might have some apologists in the room, and we might have some people that have some other thoughts in their brains that they're wrestling through right now. And I, I just want to open this up because I'm not planning to spend the whole time going through apologetics this morning, but I would love to chat with anybody else that wants to, and our, our other pastors would as well. If you're wrestling through the suffering and you're wrestling through these tough questions, please come talk to us. Don't stop at the beginning thought, but come and talk to us and let's work through it together. We're not afraid of, of chatting through these tough things together. So just to kind of look back what we talked about, we talked about that we have a choice. God gave us a choice in his love. He gave us a choice. And we're in the middle of a battlefield between good and evil. And even at the beginning of Job, you see that where, where the devil steps before God and, and they're having a battle back and forth about, about how things are going to go. There's a battle that's happening for our lives in this book. And God answers it. And I love this, this answer that he, he gives us. Um, on top of what we've already talked about, as we talked about choice and that we're in a battlefield. And the Lord speaks in uh, verse 38, 4. I'm just going to read it for you. And he starts to ask Job some questions. And he says to Job, Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? And he starts to point back to these questions of the beginning, that who was here at the beginning of the world? Who, who measured it across? Who set it up the way that it is? And we are trying so hard, right, as people to figure this out. That's why we have science, which is the study of, like, it's what we know as man. It's our understanding. We are trying to figure these things out, and we're doing the best we can with it. But the reality is, we still weren't there at the beginning, and we will only be able to find so much. That's not saying don't continue to, to study, but to understand that God is the one with the full understanding, and he's got the full picture in his hands. We can trust him because he's already expressed his love, and he's already expressed his goodness in many ways, including the best way through his son, Jesus. Now, some of you today, maybe you've come in and you're watching online or, or you're, you're listening to this later, and, and as you do, you're like, wow, Mike, this is just adding fuel to the fire right now. Like, everything you've just said isn't helping because my suffering is so great. What I'm going through is overwhelming. And I just want to say to you right now, if you are feeling that, that, that I'm sorry. I am sorry for what you are going through. And I do not mean to belittle it at all. Now look at another character in this, in this story. And we look at um, Job's wife, right? And she says, curse God and die. Curse God and die. Which, if you're me, I'm kind of looking at that and I'm like, how bad must it have been for her to say that? Right? Like, it's pretty powerful. But I, I look at her response, and there's a lot of criticism on her for, for saying it. And I'm not saying that what she said is right. But what I am saying is it's kind of a, a little bit of a tell of, of where she was at. 
She's going through the same thing as Job. She's lost all the same things, right? She lost all, all their money, and she's lost now her kids, and she's seeing her husband suffer in the way that he is as well. And I would imagine, especially just by the tell of her words, that this is overwhelming to her. So sometimes we can't get into the thinking, the intellectual question, the intellectual problem, because of the toll of the suffering is so great. We feel the suffering, the hurt, the pain, and it's overwhelming. Now, when I get in those times when, when I start to feel overwhelmed by my suffering, I think of a character, maybe you can help me uh, figure out who this is, that said a line like this. He said, well, it's not a good tale, but I'm kind of attached to it. This is who I am in the middle of my suffering, right? Like, well, it might be a good day today. I mean, it just, like, I get in those modes where I can't get into positive thinking. I'm just stuck in my pain. I'm stuck in my suffering. And I'll give Eeyore the benefit of the doubt and just say he's just lamenting. He's just feeling it, okay? We don't need any, any haters towards Eeyore today. But, but my point is, is that it can come. It can be overwhelming, and we don't have more to do with it. We, I can't engage with the thinking yet because I'm still overwhelmed with what I am feeling. And that is okay and natural. But my question to us then is how do we engage with people that are struggling with the intellectual or the emotional problem of suffering? What is our response to them? How do we help them when they are turned off to the church and to Jesus? When they are in pain... Naturally, I think we do, we do one thing. We, we try to relieve the pain. That's our natural response. We do it a lot of different ways. The one way, I think, is by fighting it, right? We throw on our kung fu pants, and we get into game mode, and we're like, we're going to take this out. An example of that is if a mosquito flies into my house, I do not like mosquitoes, right? I believe that they are a result of the fall that's just my personal belief. I don't know if that's true, but okay, don't hate me for that. Anyways, when it comes into my house, I do not like them. I don't like that it makes my kids swell up, and so what do we do? My kids go into game mode with me, and we go into kung fu karate moves, and we're swatting things in the ceiling, and we're going all over the place. But at the end of this, I don't know if we've killed the mosquito, but I've definitely received a few more welts in my back. I don't know what that's about. But, but this is the battlefield, right? Like we get in there, we get into fight mode, and we end up do, hurting each other in the process. We do other things, like we, we try to alter the truth. We try to change it just a little bit so that it doesn't feel so bad. We try and change what their circumstances by changing what the truth is a little bit. But the problem with this one is that this has been, this has been done before. And it didn't work out too well, right? Like I think to the Garden of Eden, and I think of the serpent. And what does he say to, to Eve and to, to Adam who's sitting there too? He says, did God really say that to you? That you couldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And then he, he goes on to say, because you will be like God, knowing the difference of good and evil. And there's just a little twist in there, right? Like they did end up knowing the difference between good and evil. But they also can die now, and they also get to suffer. Like he just left that little bit out, but he twisted it just a little bit 
and it didn't solve the pain. It actually caused more. We try to, we try to um, relieve the pain by numbing the pain. And you guys can think of all the different ways we do that, right? Like alcohol, through medicine, through drugs, through sex, through money. Or if you're like me, maybe it's even, um, I used to carry every different fun activity in my vehicle with me. I'd have a Frisbee, a soccer ball, I'd have my swim trunks. And just so that at any moment, if I'm not liking where I'm at, I can pick up one of these things and just have some fun instead and not deal with it. And the last one is kind of what Job's friends do. And I'm not going to read their response because it's about 20 chapters and we don't have that much time. But they respond in blaming. They blame others. They're blaming Job, but a lot of times we tend to just blame anybody, right? Like, I see you're suffering and it's this person's fault. So let's focus right here. But the problem with that is it's not always true. It's not always somebody else's fault. Sometimes we do actually cause our own suffering. So we've got to be careful when we jump into that to, and we're thinking about how do we relieve the pain. And, and I actually want to even push back against that because I don't know about you guys, but I'm not so sure that relieving the pain is always the best choice. I think about lifting, right? If I want bigger muscles, what do I need to do? Lift bigger weights, right? Like if I'm up here lifting a cue ball, and I'm up here and I'm like, wow, I can lift this cue ball 3,672 times, and I still feel fine. It's because I'm not, I'm not doing enough to actually make an impact. I need to grab like a big kettlebell and start doing some real work. And then at the end of that, it's going to hurt, right? It's not the next day. But two days later, you're like, wow, my bicep really hurts. And you either stop lifting or you go, oh, wait, that made me stronger. Maybe I should keep doing this. But it's the same thing with other things in our lives and the ways that we try to relieve pain with pain meds, with alcohol, with porn. When you try to stop these things, it will hurt. But Pastor Ron said it a few weeks ago in his sermon on pain, to be transformed, to grow, can mean pain. So what do we do instead of the ways we naturally want to do? We need to sit in the mud. I think we need to sit in the mud. And in Job 2.13, we see a picture of what his friends do. Now, his friends, they are given all this bad rap. And maybe rightfully so, but they don't do everything wrong. In Job, excuse me, Job 2.13, they do something really good. And I'm just going to read you this verse. I'm going to read it slow so you can hear what they did. They, it says, then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. And when's the last time you sat on the ground for seven days and seven nights? Yeah, me too. <laughs> no one said a word to him. Because they saw how great his suffering was. They just sat with him for seven days, seven nights, no talking. Sounds like I'm trying to give you a challenge right now, but I'm just telling you how, how awesome this is that they stepped in with this kind of a way. To just be with him in the mud. Like I'm not sure if the kid is comforting the dog or the dog is comforting the kid, but, but they're both in the mud together. And our, our, our God, our creator, um, sent Jesus to this world like we talked about. 
And he is one that can identify with us. He has suffered. He has suffered immensely. And as the Bible says in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, that he has suffered in every way, the same as we have. He suffered losing friends. His friends betrayed him. He suffered the whole people like mocking him, putting crazy signs on top of him to mock him. The soldiers are doing that. He suffered physical beating. He suffered a a terrible trial. And at the end of this, a cruel and painful death. And that's not it. That's not the only time Jesus suffered. You can look back at other times. Like there's a little verse in the Bible, and if you're going to try to memorize any verse, this is where I suggest you start. It's two words long. Does anybody know what it is? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And this story is all in regards to one of his friends, Lazarus. And Lazarus passes away, and Jesus hears about it. And his response is that Jesus wept. Now, if you're like me, when I hear that, I'm like, well, Jesus, I mean, you know the end of the story. So do I. You, you save him. Like, you heal him. And you have the power to. And you have the, so how, why are you weeping? Because he feels that the same as we do. And so I think it's important for us to do exactly what this kid and this dog are doing in this picture. But also, I think in Romans, uh, Romans gives us the same thought. Romans 12, 5 says, if I can find it. Oops, I'm reading the wrong verse there. Maybe it's 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. It is 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And this is Paul talking about loving in action. How do we love in action? By mourning with those who mourn. So we have sitting in the mud. That's our first response. We're going to just sit and be with people. The second thing that we can do is to bring a gift. Right? We can bring a gift. So we can, we can step forward and we can bring flowers, right? Like sometimes we do that. We bring flowers to somebody. And the reason we bring flowers is because they're beautiful and they grow and they remind us that there is goodness and there are good things. And we could do other things like, like if I'm suffering and you come visit me, just bring me a Reese's. I don't need the flowers. I need a Reese's to remind me that there is goodness, okay, because Reese's are amazing. Um, but that's like we can step in, we can bring something because sometimes we can't bring the words at that moment. They're not ready for it or we don't have them either way, but we can step in and do a reminder of the goodness that there is. And maybe that's what they need. The other thing we can do is we can step in with healing truth. We can provide the truth to somebody about what's really going on. Now, the problem is, is that sometimes we just want to speak the truth. We just want to bring the truth. And I'm going to tell you a story because just recently I did this. I just brought the truth. I was, one of my kids had, had messed up. They had made a mistake. And I, I went to go talk to, to, my, to my child about this. And, and I just started pouring it on about how they messed up and, and the thing that they did wrong And I knew I had gone too far when I saw a tear come down his face. And it broke me because I realized that I had stepped in and spoke the truth without caring. 
And it took my son being soft towards me <laughs> for my son being the bigger person for all you young people in the room. Just because you got some big people, it doesn't mean that we all know what we're doing all the time. We need your love too. and We need, we need your help true, but, but my son did it for me. And he showed me the love and the truth in his patient response to me. So when we speak the truth, let the truth be the truth, but don't forget to care. Care while you speak the truth. Be careful of those quick choices so we don't end up causing more suffering. And the last way is when we are suffering is to suffer well. So when suffering comes upon you and you are suffering through it, suffer well. Remember the truths that we talked about today. Remember who your God is. That your God is with you, that he has suffered as well, that he, he is in this with you. He wants to be present with you and through this. I've run into a bunch of people, just a few even recently, that I walked in to, to meet them, right? Like they're going through something really tough. And I come into the room and they're like, hey, how are you? Welcome. Thanks for being here. So good to see you. Hey, look, I got some cookies. And I'm like, hey, I forgot the cookies, but you brought them? And they're just, they're, they're exuding good suffering. And that's, that's not to say we always are that way. You can read it. You can read all through the book of Job. I challenge you to do that later. Take, take a longer read of Job, but you'll see him lament. You'll see him hurt, and that's okay. But as we're suffering, remember who your God is. Remember that your God loves you. He gave you a choice to do that back. And that's what we do as we sit with people, as we bring a gift, as we, as we suffer well. As we give healing truth, we give them a chance to have a healed relationship with their good God. And we give them a chance to have healing with others. And we give them a chance to accept the truth. And I love this. If you're, as you're reading through the story, get to uh, Job 42 and you'll hear how Job finds out where his error is. And it's the Spirit's work moving in Job's life to convict him of that and for him to accept it. We get to trust him with it. Let me pray for us. Father God, you are a good, awesome, and amazing God. And there are times where the trials, the things of our lives, the, the suffering that we are feeling is just overwhelming, God. And you know this. Your son has experienced so much suffering as well. And God, I say thank you on behalf of all of us for that. That you stepped into this world in the middle of this mess, the mess that we've created. You step in and you want to be in it with us. And you extend your hand offering us a choice to choose to love you, God. And God, we are just, we are so grateful for that. God, I, I just... I pray over all in the room and those that are hearing me later that if they're going through something now that's, that is painful, God, that they can remember you in the middle of it. That they can remember you and who you are and that you want to be with them. And God, that in the middle of it, that you would draw us, give us courage to step in 
to sit with people, to bring them reminders of your goodness and to speak healing truth. God, would you, would you empower us with those things today? And God, would you be with us as we go here, go from here today? And God, those that are still wrestling, would you encourage, would you spur them on to seek answers to their questions? God, we love you. And we give you all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or our website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide. 